like for you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 15. This morning we're going to look at the book of Luke chapter 15. But predominantly, beginning with verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." May the Lord give us wisdom this morning as we look to His Word. You know, it's a great mystery to me how it is that some people hear the Gospel, hear the Word of the Lord, and they embrace Christ. And then others hear the Word and it seems to have no meaning to them in their heart and they reject Christ. Now the context of which we find our parable this morning, we find in chapter 15 and verse 1, all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Him to hear Him. This was a very common practice. In the earlier hour this morning, we talked about the sect of the Pharisees and how they had become so self-righteous in trying to be keepers of the law. They actually became contrary to the law by following the hedge they had erected around the the law and were supposedly trying to keep the the outward requirements, but yet... In truth and reality, they neglected the heart of the law. And these particular Pharisees despised the teachings of Christ and they despised those that were following Christ. Interesting enough here, we see that these tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear Him. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the first hour, the tax collectors were... 
despised by the nation of Israel because they were pretty much in league with Rome as they often collected the taxes for Rome, they themselves being Jews, they would also often keep money back for themselves. So they were looked down upon by the Jews as being traitors to their own company. But yet they were attracted to Christ and they sought to follow Him. Why do you suppose they did that? It's very clear. It was evident in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ that He loved them. He cared about them. It would have never dawned upon the Pharisees to love these people, hoping that they might receive grace from the Lord and that their standard might be raised up. No, they didn't have that in their mind. They despised the lowly class. But yet Jesus saw fit to be with them because He loved them. This morning we sang the hymn, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. You know, Jesus is, in fact, a friend of sinners. But make no mistake, Jesus is a friend of those sinners that are penitent. Those that repent and turn from their sins. By Jesus hanging around the tax collectors and the sinners did not in any way mean that He condoned or went along with that. And we see some of this in evangelical circles today. They think love means love no matter what. No, we're to love in truth. And that's what Jesus did. He called them to repentance. And many of them did repent and believe the gospel. As we studied this morning in the first hour with the uh, parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee going into the temple, it was the one that knew he was a true sinner who needed a Savior that embraced Christ. Look with me. Let's take a a few moments in here. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse... uh, 31, as Jesus uh, had told the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and he asked two men to go work in the vineyard, and one said that, uh, yes, I will go, and he didn't go, and the other one said, I I can't do it, but yet he repented and went, and the one that truly did the will of the Father was which one, Jesus asked uh, the Pharisees, and they said the one that actually went. And Jesus said to them... Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. You see, why is that? Because they do not trust in their own self-righteousness. They realize that they're sinners in need of a Savior, and they believe the gospel. They receive Christ. They're forgiven of their sins, and they enter into the kingdom of heaven. But such was not the case with the Pharisees, with many of the scribes, with the self-righteous. No, they trusted themselves that they were, were, were righteous and clung to their own 
righteousness rather than seeing their great need for the righteousness of Christ. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus gave another parable where He said, A man gave a great supper and invited many to come. But, in verses 18 through 21, they made various ridiculous excuses as to why they could not come to this supper of the kingdom, if you will. Uh, One said, I just bought a piece of ground. I've got to see to it. You mean you bought some land you haven't looked at it yet? How foolish could that be? One said, well, I've just bought some a yoke of oxen, and I've got to go try them. Again, you've bought these oxen, uh, and, and you don't know anything about them. Now you've got to go try See, foolish excuses not to come to the supper of the Lord. Another said, well, I've married a wife. Well, that's not a very good excuse. She's not going to be anywhere. She'll still be there... Uh, you can bring her to the supper, you see. Foolish excuses as to why not to attend this supper. And then Jesus said, okay, these initial persons were invited and they decide not come. Go out into the streets and to the lanes of the city and invite the maimed and the blind, everyone to come. So they did that. Folks came and yet... Many, there was still room for many to come. There was still uh, room there. The master said, Go out of the servants, there's plenty of room that my house may be filled. You see, Jesus is talking about the nation of Israel. John came to the nation preaching the gospel, uh, a message of repentance. Jesus came offering the kingdom of God, and what did they do? By and large, they made excuses. Israel as a whole rejected Christ and this banquet that they were called to, this this feast to come into the kingdom of God, and they rejected it. And the Pharisees, now let's turn back to Luke chapter 15. The Pharisees and the scribes in verse 2 They complained about this. Because these tax collectors and harlots and these sinners, they were embracing Christ. And the Pharisees despised this. They felt that they were the upper class, the upper crust. And Jesus had no business talking to these outcasts in society. And they grumbled about this. They didn't want any part of this. Okay? Why is it that they referred to Him as not... Jesus. Certainly they didn't refer to Him as the Christ, the Messiah, but simply, this man. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, what did He do? He spoke this parable to them. And this parable is really made up of three parts of the parable. It's a parable concerning those which were lost. First of all, He talks about the lost sheep, beginning with verse 4. Jesus said, Suppose uh, a man of you has a hundred sheep and one of the sheep is lost. Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to find the lost sheep? Okay. 
Wow, someone say, you know, you've got a hundred sheep and only one sheep is missing. You know, it would probably take more time and effort and money to leave the 99 and go after this one sheep. Wouldn't it be more feasible to say, well, I'm just going to count my losses. Well, let this sheep go. That way I can be secure that I still have the 99. That's only a 1% loss. We'll cut cut that minute loss. Not worry about it. But no, the shepherd, what does he do? He leaves the 99 and he goes after the one lost sheep. You see, this is a picture of our, our Lord, our Savior. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the shepherd who loses none that the Father gives to him. And when one is astray and erring, he goes after that sheep. God Himself is depicted like this over and over again in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 11, you don't have to take the time to turn there, the Scripture says, He, speaking of God, will feed His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with His arm and carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are young. Ezekiel chapter 34 I will feed my flock and I will provide rest for them and I will seek what is lost and bring them back that was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen those who are sick. This was the very nature of of a good shepherd. This was the nature of the Father. This was the nature of Jesus. And then in verse 5 of chapter 15, when he finds that sheep that is lost... He lays it upon his shoulders and rejoices. He comes home and calls together his friends and they have a party. They are rejoicing in the sheep that was lost and is now found. And Jesus said, I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 persons who need no repentance. You see, this parable was aimed at the Pharisees who, who thought because they were righteous, oh, they were self-righteous, that they needed no repentance. For the Son of Man has come to save those which were the lost. The Pharisees did not even deem themselves as needing repentance, as being a part of the lost. Yet Jesus came for those who were lost. And then the second part of this parable, Jesus talks about the woman who loses a coin in verses 8 through 10, and she begins uh, to sweep the house. Now, she has ten coins, and she loses one of them. Again, she might say, well, you know, that's only a 10% loss. Maybe I'll just be content with the other nine. But that's not the case. Because she sees a great deal of worth in this coin. Uh, This uh, common denarius was worth at least, or a drachma in the Greek, was worth at least a day's wages, if not more. 
So she knew there was a great deal of worth there, so she was willing to take the time and the effort to look for this lost coin. Now, it's not like we would drop a coin here on this floor, this carpeted floor, or a tile floor, or even a wooden floor. It would be easy to find. Most homes in Palestine uh, at that time were dirt, uh, which required a little bit of work, you know, to sweep the dust away in order to find that coin. But because of the worth of that coin, she was willing to expend the effort to do that. She took the time because of the worthiness of that coin to find it. And she did. Look in uh, Luke chapter 12. In this particular context, Jesus is talking to His disciples. And He's talking about the problem of ministering not only in a hostile world, but when the very religious leaders are well that are hostile toward you. Even the religious were against Christ. And he said to them in verse 4, Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but be afraid of those who has... But fear him after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say... Fear Him. So only worry about your relationship to God. Only worry about fearing Him. And then Jesus said these very encouraging words to His disciples in verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten by God? He is certainly aware even when the sparrow falls. But the very heads hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. Are you not of more value than these sparrows? You see? We're called to minister into a hostile world. We're only to fear the Lord and not fear what man can do to us. God cares for us even more so, much more so, than He does the sparrows that fall. And He's aware of them. And He cares for them. Does He not much more care for you? This woman cared for that coin because she ascribed worth to it. Our Heavenly Father has ascribed worth to us because He loves us. And when one sinner is willing to turn from his sins and repent, we see here again in verse 10, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The one that was truly lost. The one who knows he's lost. The Father is calling that sinner to come. And there's joy amongst the angels of God when this individual turns and repents. Excuse me, I got it. Some indigestion this morning. Pray for me. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Uh, and then we get to the the bulk of this parable as Jesus is talking about the parable of now, not one in a hundred or one in ten, but one out of two. 
the parable of the lost son. Sometimes this parable is preached that this is a Christian who has strayed from the faith and needs to be restored. That's not true. This is referring to a son which is lost. Okay? There may be some application there, but this son who was lost and is dead and now is found. Verse 11, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, the younger son, who's not the firstborn, was entitled to a third of the family of what the family had. And it's very interesting here, he was entitled to it, but not until the father died. So in a sense, he, he is wanting it now. In essence, he, he was saying to his father, you know, I just assume you'd be dead so I can have my inheritance. So I can go away and do my own thing. Okay? So interesting enough, and again, we shouldn't try to read too much into, into parables, but the father does this. Can you imagine all the problems that would have had, had to have gone forth? You know, cashing things in, selling this, in order that this son might have a third? But he did that. Now, why would a father do that? Well, sometimes fathers allow their children to do things that they're adamant about doing, even knowing it's going to hurt them because they've got to learn a lesson. I don't know. But maybe this is what happens here. So, he did this. He, he divided this portion and gave them, gave the younger son from his livelihood. And in verse 13, not many days after, the younger son gathered all together everything. He took everything that he had. Uh, Man, if there's an ounce of wisdom in this guy, don't you think he said, well, you know, I'm going to go have a big time, and maybe I better store a little bit back, you know. Somewhat like an ant, you know, storing in case hard times come. But he, he didn't do that. He took every bit of it, everything that he had. He was going to have a good time. And he wanted to get as far away from mom and dad as he could. He goes to a, what? He goes to a far country. I want to be away. I want to be free. I want to be able to do my own thing. So that's what he does. And the scripture says there that when he went away, he wasted all of his possessions, everything that he had on prodigal living. The word prodigal means wasteful, being totally decadent in what he did. He lived a total uh, licentious and moral life. He sp- spent all his money on wine, women, and songs, so to speak. He, he totally depleted everything that he had. Verse 14 says that he spent all, everything. Why would someone do this, folks? Hmm? Very unhappy, wasn't he? Miserable. I want to find joy. I want to be happy. Party. 
do whatever I can. I once knew a guy who was worth multiple millions of dollars. He had a sweet wife and children, a very uh, good business that made him money, but he wanted more. He wanted to have a good time. And over the course of a few decades, this man did the same thing that this younger son did. He went away and he blew millions of dollars on things of this world, boats, cars, immoral women. And when he died, he died penniless, living with a female cab driver. The bad thing about this particular man is that he never came to know the Lord. He died in this lost state. But for this particular individual, this this younger son, that was not his demise. After he had spent uh, everything that he had, a severe famine came into the land And what did he do? He could not find anybody to help him. Wow. You know, I bet he had a lot of friends when he had all of his money. But now with a famine in the land, he had absolutely nothing. Nothing to fall back on. No one was around. So he hired himself out to one that that had pigs. Can you imagine this? This is a Jewish man. Pigs were unclean. And here he is getting a job taking care of the pigs. There's a Jewish saying that reads something like this. May a curse come upon anyone who cares for the swine. And this is exactly what he's doing. But you see, this is the the nature of sin. We think that there are greener pastures on the other side of the hill. We think that we can find joy in filling up the desires of the flesh. And there are pleasures to be found, isn't it? But those pleasures are short-lived. The end of it all is you end up just like this. That's the nature of sin. Sin often takes us to places where... We have no business going. It keeps us there longer than we ever intended to stay. And it costs us far more than we would ever want to pay. That's the nature of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. So we see this man here uh, losing everything, starving to death. And he says there that I would have... Mm, I would have gladly filled myself with the pods that the the hogs were eating. But he couldn't do it because of the nature of these pods. They were thorny. They were undigestible to a human. So he couldn't even eat the the slop that the pigs were eating, although he he longed for it. But he knew that he couldn't eat eat it. So what happens to him? Well, he comes to the very end of himself. So he says to himself there, in verse 17, 
How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. Now these hired servants, they were not the general help that his father had. These were the persons that were hired on a daily basis. The lowly of the lows. And he's saying, wow, even those persons are much better off than I am. So he says, I will rise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You see. What does he say here? What's in his mind? Does he say, you know, I'm going to go back to old dad and I'm going to say, Dad, I goofed up a little bit. Can you help me out? Is he going to go back and say, Father, you know, I realized that I was in error. It's not that big of a deal, is it? No. He saw what he did in the light of the truth of God's Word. And he says, I'm going to go back to my Father and I'm going to say to Him, I have sinned. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And what does the father do? Well, son, you know, you've really become a hardship to the family. I went out. I had a lot of inconvenience in dividing this estate. Why don't you just go your own way now? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all, does He? But as He was on the way, look there in verse 20. He arose and He came to His Father, but when He was still a great way off, His Father saw Him. And He had compassion. And He ran and He fell on His neck and He kissed Him. This is the nature of, the, of God the Father who has compassion upon those who see themselves as they are as true sinners who need the Savior. He has compassion for this Son. Not only does He have compassion, evidently He had been watching for His Son because He sees Him when He's afar off. And He fell on His neck and He kissed Him. Showed Him absolute love. This is the very nature of God, isn't is it not? You know, the Scripture t- talks says to us in many ways that God desires all men to be saved, and this is something different than His decree or His purpose. God has a purpose that no doubt some will be saved. But God desires from His heart of love that all men would be saved. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. To those who truly turn, He accepts. We sung this morning, That soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, He will not, He will not forsake to His foes. He will bring you in and have mercy upon you. I think of Jesus who was weeping over Jerusalem. 
as he says, You, Jerusalem, who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to her, how often I would have gathered you unto myself as a hen gathers its chicks under its wings, but you were not willing. You would not come unto me. You see, the greater thing that's going on here is God is speaking to the nation of Israel that as a whole, the Messiah was right in their midst and they were turning away from Him. They were rejecting Him. Keep your place there and look look with me to Luke chapter 19. They did not realize. The light had come into the world, but men preferred the darkness over the light. He was the bread of life. And yet, they longed for the physical bread, but they didn't realize that He had come to give them life and to give them life abundantly. In a a passage corollary to the uh, passage I just read in Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 19, And in verse 41, again, Jesus draws near to the city after weeping over it. In verse 42, He says, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, they are now hidden for you. The Prince of Peace was right before them, and they rejected Him. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. You see? What's he talking about there? He's talking about the very thing that happened in 70 A.D. when Jerusalem, the promised land, was sacked by the Romans and the land was left desolate. And many, many were killed, you see. They had rejected the goodness of Christ. They had rejected their Messiah. They chose the darkness rather than light. They chose to turn away from the compassionate God and trust in themselves. They chose not to turn from their sin and believe in the the Messiah that God sent. Keep your place there and let's let's look at a few Psalms that talk about the compassionate nature of God. In Psalm 86, Psalm 86 and verse 5, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. To those who, just like this penitent son, Jesus is a friend of sinners. To those who call out for mercy, He is there. He's willing to forgive. He is a, in, shows His mercy to all who call upon Him. And then in Psalm 103, Psalm 103, uh, let's begin in verse 8. 
The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Praise God, we do not get what we deserve, but we've been shown mercy and grace in Christ. Verse 11, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame and He remembers that we are dust. You know, this was the very nature of Christ. And this is what we see here. This is why Jesus was telling this parable. That God is merciful and kind and gracious. He seeks after the outcast. He seeks after the ones that know they're sinners. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. He came as a physician to heal those that were sick. So, if you didn't see yourself as lost, if you didn't see yourself as sick, if you didn't see yourself as a sinner, this was the way the Pharisees viewed themselves. That they were good to go. They were okay in themselves. And they spurned and rejected the compassion and the love of God. You see, this is what we see. Again, this is what we see in this parable with the attitude of the older son. Jesus was aiming this parable towards those who felt that they were righteous without the mercy of God. And back to our text then in, in chapter 15. What did the father do? Well, he, he placed a robe upon the father, placed a ring on his hand, killed the fatted calf, and they were having a great party. You see, they were so excited because this son that was lost, this son that is described as dead, just as a sinner is dead in his trespasses and sins, without hope, without God in the world, no life. This one who was lost, this one is now found, this one who was dead is now alive, and they were having a party because this son had returned. So there's music, there's dancing, they're having a glorious time, and the older son is coming in from the field and he hears this. What is this that I hear? And he asked him, and they told him, Well, your brother has come in verse 27. And because he has received him safe and sound, the father has killed the fatted calf for him. What was his response? Mmm, grumpy, angry, upset. Folks, this was the attitude of the Pharisees. They were angry. They, how did this parable begin? They were all upset. They were grumpy back in chapter 15. This man, he receives sinners and eats with them. What's he done with this, you see? They despise the fact that sinners and tax collectors were coming to Jesus. This older son despises the fact that this 
younger son receives kindness and mercy from the father. So, he was angry in verse 28. So angry that he would not rejoice in his younger brother coming back home. So he stayed outside, pouting. So his father comes out to him. And he answers and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Wow, you think that was true? I've been serving you all these years, Father. Look at me, I'm the good son. I've never transgressed your commandment ever. Do you believe that? I don't think so. Like the Pharisee that prayed in the temple, Lord, I thank you that I'm not as other men are. Proud, unjust, extortioners. Flaunting himself. Elevating his own supposed goodness, which was never nothing more than self-righteousness. You see? Picturing the Pharisees. I've never transgressed your commandment, so he says, at any time, which was a bunch of baloney, and yet you never gave me a young goat, much less a fatted calf, in other words, okay, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, he didn't seem to say my brother, but as soon as this guy shows up, this son of yours, what do you do? You see, you see the, the same wordage as we saw from the Pharisees? This man eats with the tax collectors and sinners. And all these outcasts, these unworthy, they're, they're gathered around him. As soon as this, this, your son, comes home, you throw out a party and slay the fatted calf. Verse 31, And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. You see, this was... Again, he's talking about Israel. They were the people of God. They were the one that had the law. They were the ones that had the prophets. They were the ones that had the Messiah come to them. God was with them. He revealed Himself to them but they spurned Him. They turned away from the One who came to give them life and forgiveness of their sins because they were looking to themselves. They thought themselves were beyond needing a Savior. But the one Son, picturing the sinner, the true person, that sees himself as God sees him, he came to his senses and he said, I'm going to go to my Father. So he did. So his father throws a party for him. The father says to the older son, your brother was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is now he is found. You see, So there was a glorious... Rejoicing in heaven. As Jesus said, there's joy in the presence of the angels where God is rejoicing, where the saints that are already there are rejoicing. And the angels themselves rejoice over one sinner 
who repents. God is a gracious and compassionate God. He sent the shepherd to draw in the sheep. But the Son of Man came to save that which is lost. Was that you? Is that you? That you admitted that you are a sinner before God? You have no claims upon God? You've turned from your sins and you've trusted in Christ. What did the Father do for the Son? He placed a robe around Him. When we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we no longer are trusting in our own righteousness, but we trust in Christ's perfect righteousness. And therefore, we are clothed, we are robed with the perfection of Christ. The righteousness of Christ clothes us. So we give praise this morning, folks, and you would say amen. And if we in fact are children of God, we are that because God has revealed to us the fact that we are dead, that we are without God and without hope. And we were just like this lost son. We were filling up in our flesh that which was pleasing to us. We were desiring to do the things that would make us happy. And yet God was merciful to us because we came to the end of ourselves and believed the gospel. And we're saved. Does everyone have to end up like this young son? To come to the very end of yourself? To some extent, I think, I think they do. Because they've got to realize that nothing in my hand I can bring to God to merit my righteousness. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. I'm needy. I'm a sinner. Left to my own devices, I will go my own way. I will do my own thing. And I will destroy my body and my soul if I continue on this path. So the lost son repented. He changed his mind. He came to himself and made a 180 degree turn and ran to his father. The picture here of one who is truly lost understanding his sin, in all humility, going to the Father and saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. We give praise to God for His goodness and His mercy that He has poured out upon us, lost sinners that were without God and without hope. He has clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. He has forgiven us of all our sins. And we give praise to Him who is gracious and compassionate. God, who does not treat us as our sins deserve. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for Your holy Word. And I pray, God, that You will seal these truths to our heart. Thank You, Lord, for Your kindness and Your mercy and Your grace that You have shown us and Your dear Son. Thank You, Lord, that Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to this earth to provide grace and mercy and salvation for those who turn to You. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.